those people that say they wait around for inspiration, it's like, oh shit, you're going to be waiting a long time. Like you you, you got to go hunt it down and kill it. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gilsombrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, currently offering possibly the best thing to happen to relief printmaking, their Woodzilla presses. Beautifully made in the Netherlands, these uniquely engineered presses perfectly combine superior craftsmanship and performance at a price that makes them accessible whether you're a seasoned printmaking pro or new to the craft. Available across five sizes, each Woodzilla press is precisely manufactured from heavy-duty steel and designed to apply uniform pressure without undue work or stress for the artists, while still guaranteeing a beautifully printed result at every reveal. Check out these beauties through the link in the show notes. My guest this week is Kari Christensen, a Vancouver-based artist and printmaker who is known for her iconic, bold lino cuts of sweeping mountains in contemporary Canadian landscapes. We talk about growing up in a small town, how her background in classical studies influences her artistic practice, and why being gay makes her a better printmaker. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to carpe diem with Kari Christensen. Hi Kari, how's it going? Hi Miranda, I'm great. It's a beautiful sunny day up here in Vancouver. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Being from that neck of the woods, I know that those sunny days are precious. Well, this is this is one sunny day out of 10 of rain. So yes, you are correct. Well, thank you for tucking yourself inside to, to talk to me for an hour. <laughs> giving up that, that little sliver of sunshine, I know. <laughs> little sliver of actual sunshine life, yes. Yeah, vitamin D for sure. Vitamin D. <laughs> well, I am really excited to talk to you today. I have admired your work for a really long time, and I just know that we're going to have a great chat about it. And But before we get into all of that, would you please let people know who you are, where you are, what you do? I'm Kari Christensen. I'm in Vancouver, B.C., in Canada, and I'm a printmaker artist. I, I kind of like, the older I get, the more I just call myself an artist and not a printmaker anymore. But I, I clung to being called just a printmaker for a while there because I thought it was a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so interesting you should say that because I, I think about that a lot too. And that kind of way that printmaking can can be sort of like sliced out of the artistic pie and, and set aside sometimes. And even in the way I brand the podcast, I used to say I talk to printmakers and now in the introduction, I say I talk to artists who use print media because mm-hmm. I think that that is can get kind of tricky. And I think we're all, you know, thinking about language and, and you know, what things actually mean when we say them. And and yeah, yeah. so it goes back and forth. That. Yeah, I thought I had like, I think 
maybe it's possible that like being so adherent to calling myself a printmaker put a little bit of a chip on my shoulder like in the art world because in general mm. like you know uh, you stack it up against painting and th- well first of all you're comparing yep. to me- media which is really something no one should ever do and then also like in the in the gallery world there's still so much misunderstanding of printmaking but I think so the chip on your shoulder gets to be like no I'm a printmaker don't use the word print that way that's the wrong way yeah. Whereas, and then after a while I just I figure I just let it go because the more I get on in my career I just it's I just I just spread the word of print by everything I do whether it's in painting or printing so for sure I think sometimes there's that sneak in the print into them because as you say people do come with so many misconceptions and you know I've worked in the non print gallery world you know like the the broader gallery world (laughs) for some time and I'm always just like smack my colleagues with love and annoyance when they say so they also make they make prints but this is their original work you know or like you hear that and you're just like she's like throwing pencils across the room at them trying to hit them while they're talking to a client like tiny little daggers hit my heart every time every time every time yeah it's it but it also i think it kind of bonds us together too as the as the scrappy Mm -hmm. people that we are so i i do like that too yeah but can i ask can i ask you a quick question yeah how do you know about my work Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Oh, I love the Instagram. Yeah. I and, and you know, I I found your work quite early on when I was building the Hello Print Friend Instagram account because I which at the time was the Pine Copper Lime Instagram account and I knew I wanted to create a pretty robust Instagram platform just as a way to discover artists I wanted to talk to, but also as a way to be more accessible to artists I have talked to or artists who want to talk to me or listeners. And I think you were one of the the first accounts that I followed when I was just three years ago trying to build up my little platform. So for you, if we can get a little bit more context for Kari, where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? I grew up in Ontario, actually. I'm from a, a little tiny town just outside of London, Ontario called Dutton. It's one of those towns that it's like you're watching the Andy Griffith show or something where uh-huh. it's like everyone knows everybody and people are on the front porch having lemonade kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's Dutton. And for me, though, like the thing about Dutton is that it's in the, the part of Ontario where very close to Toronto, where the group of seven did all of their painting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there, there's so few Canadian art movements that I, you know, that the group of seven was the one that was closest to me. Yeah. So I was always aware of Canadian art. And then I also made it like a, like it's a passion of mine to know about Canadian artists and to research them and to know about them. But ever since I was a teenager, I've really just been drawn to like the history of art in Canada in particular. Yeah, I I think that's an interesting point. I think that there's some maybe crossover a bit for me when it comes to like the history of art and American art as well. You know, when I was going to to grad school for art history, I kind of didn't really think much of American art. You were like, what is it? Some weird racist landscapes with no indigenous people in it. You know, like, what is that? Like, what is American art? And then when I got there, there was a wonderful American art professor named Sarah Moore at University of Arizona where I was. And the way she was like, yes, that can be what it is, but what does that tell you about what was going on? And the way that what I was sort of just brushing off as one-dimensional actually has a really fascinating history woven into it of colonialism and the ways that 
shifting perceptions of the natural world from is it something to be feared? Is it something to be conquered? Is it something to be celebrated? Mm -hmm. All these different relationships we've had over time with the way we conceive of nature. And mm -hmm. it just I ended up just kind of falling for it and eating my own words that I never spoke out loud, but I guess, you know, eating my own bias that I had, had <laughs> taken to studying art history and, and realizing that there's a, a lot of really interesting things to unpack, even in the in the history, you know, before we get to kind of the exciting pop art or modernism or, or maybe things that people more think of more broadly when they think of American art. I also had a similar chip on my shoulder for American art. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that for me, that brings up a couple of things. The first one I think about is, uh, I mentioned the group of seven. Of course, uh, th that tradition, the Canadian tradition of showing our wild landscape was the, was the thing that set us apart for a while. But then as I got a little bit older, there's this, uh, there was a, a movement in London, Ontario called London Regionalism, which was a small movement in the Canadian art world, but and not a lot of people know about it. But it's something I talk about a lot because I lived so close to it and I saw a lot of the art and it was always in the papers and the news there. And there was this artist that led it. His name was Greg Kerno. So I started out with this romanticism, you know, the stars in my eyes, the group of seven, the way they want you to see the landscape, this mm -hmm. love, this. And then I run into Greg Kerno. He's like the stumbling block who suddenly points out to me that, you know, he brought the political into art for me, even in the Canadian art world. He started talking about the place that he was at and how that was just as important because, you know, he was working in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he, but he was like, so comparing himself to like the art movements in the States. And he's like, like Canada can't do that. Like, so it talked about the difference between us and well, he actually had quite a, a hatred for America. It, and it, so it brought like it brought that thing to me, too. First of all, the idea of regionalism and what you can say through art that no one else can say except for you. And then that whole putting it in a context into time and placing Canadian art into the world in a different way. And the other thing, is, I don't know if you've watched this, this, this Netflix Andy Warhol diaries yet. Yeah, I have. Because I also didn't, I wasn't a huge Warhol fan because it's just it's so ubiquitous, right? It's just everywhere. And then, but then you start peeling back the layers, the show starts peeling back the layer. And I've read the diaries. I have to admit, I didn't Maybe I didn't analyze them as much as I should. They start peeling back the layers of him and his queer life and mm -hmm. New York at the time. And I would have to say I'm much more of a, a Warhol fan than I ever had been after after having someone else point that kind of stuff out to me. And it, I'm sad it took Ryan Murphy to do so. <laughs> <laughs> I had the exact same experience watching them. You know, I just sort of watched it because it was like, oh, you know. Andy, he's the printmaker that everyone thinks of when they think of printmakers, and I should be more informed. And mm -hmm. But I did have that that brush off of like, oh, right, Mao, Marilyn, I get it, you know, soup cans, like nothing means anything, ha ha. And it was so fascinating, particularly to see his life after that burning hot pop movement. And oh like his romantic life and his professional life and the way he kind of ebbed and flowed from popularity was fascinating. Oh, I totally. And like, I, when you look at like one of his artworks and I, like I would have seen the Paramount logo before and I just would have assumed, oh, mm -hmm. he's, he's referencing pop culture again and movies and he's stuck in that world. I didn't realize that one of his lovers that he couldn't talk about yeah. worked for Paramount. So that's why Paramount appears in all of his artwork. But so that's a whole other snippet of information that just takes the art to a whole new place than the printmaking. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like a broad lesson about art in the sense of of there's really no way to kind of justify like the prejudices that I bring to it you know, without mm -hmm. actually diving into it, because there is always like so much more, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and there is a reason why people have 
looked to art movements and and looked and looked to artists as as sometimes problematic as they can be to hold up something about the world at that time. That's significant for sure. But like, if we go back to um, Little Me, yes, um, I mean, art didn't play a big a big role in my growing up life. None of my parents are. Neither of my parents were um, artists, or but like my grandmother painted for fun. So sometimes, like, she, there was this portrait of my mom hanging in our house that my grandmother had painted, and it was scarily good. Hmm. She was pre- she was pretty good at capturing uh, the essence. So when I started doing art, I was always there. I was like, oh, you're a bit like your grandmother. She's uh-huh. artistic. So. But and I remember like once, like one of my first memory of doing art is sitting with my mom at the kitchen table coloring, and she was coloring so perfectly. I thought I'm like, oh, one day I want to grow up and be just like her and color just that good, you know? Yeah. So I always enjoyed doing it. But then I didn't take any art classes until later, like like when I was in like later in high school. So it it wasn't something that I gravitated towards Mm. straight straight away. And so when did it kind of? come into your life and in a major way and and was printmaking running parallel to that timeline or did that come along later I think like print came really fast I think it's always funny like when you're like I just turned 50 it's funny when you're 50 talking about when you were in high school but such is the thing um hindsight so the first time I took an art class I I, I know it's gonna sound stupid when I say this I realized I was super good at it I could draw anything (laughs) (laughs) I was just like this is interesting this is latent superpower or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and then we pretty much like very quickly in Ontario I don't know that they I've talked to other people who were who were born and bred here in British Columbia and they didn't do the same thing like they didn't hand you the 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 line of cutting tools at such a young age because they thought you might stab other people with them but <laughs> in Ontario they just hand you the knives so uh, we did a, like we did a lino print right away and I just I, I loved it mm. I loved it I, I still have that first one I have every plate really? that I, yeah every plate I've ever carved I still have that one too what was the subject matter oh my god it was a it was a heron and for okay. some reason for some reason I cut the legs off I'm not sure why <laughs> I'll forgive myself. Well, it was your first one. Yeah, I yeah. Think. <laughs> I think we could have some grace for, for young Kari. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I went on to I went to the University of Guelph because at the time they had a really great art history program and, and a fine arts program as well. And I realized that having someone teach me art in university was not what I liked. I didn't like being in the art classes. and mm. It wasn't for me. So I, I took like the, I took it in my first year, and then after that, switched to an art history degree instead. And yeah. but I kept I, ke- I kept taking printmaking because there was a master printmaker there called Gene Chu. So I took printmaking from him when I was there. So I think I've always had that love of love of print, and in particular, lino printing. Can you speak to what it is, was about? that process that oh, struck you, know, you? I get asked this question a lot. And it's one of those things that as an artist, you just like, after a while, it makes me think of that line from when Harry met Sally, like, you just know, like, you know, about a good, <laughs> a good melon, you know? Yeah. Um, but because it's often like, it's the gateway printmaking is what I usually call it, right? Like, it's the first one they teach kids. It's a form, you know, you, sometimes they start with a potato print, and then they, then they move right on to lino printing. And then you move on to the, you know, the more technical stuff with the acids and the baths and the, mm-hmm. the stones and the, the screens and the film and the emulsion there's something really uncomplicated about lino that appeals to me I think I don't know whether like I have a very clean aesthetic the like my house my life everything and I think lino offers that clean aesthetic in a way that the other printmaking 
mediums don't for me. I, I've, I've done them. I like combining lino with other things, but it's just, I don't know. A lot of people say, isn't it meditative? And it's like, absolutely not. It is not, <laughs> it is not meditative cutting a giant sheet of lino and trying not to move. Have you, like, my work is a lot of straight lines. That is not meditative. That is hard work. <laughs> it's just, like, I'm just imagining like anime, like sweat bullets, you know? Like, right? Yeah. But I love, I love everything about it. I like, I love the smell of it. I love how it feels. I I love the printing. I love the, I love everything about it. Um, if I had to pick another print medium that I, if I was to rank them in order of preference, <laughs> I'd put on, I'd probably screen printing next, but you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of shit involved. <laughs> there is. Oh my gosh. Like emulsion and lights on and lights off. And yeah. <laughs> and a few, a few years ago, like when I first had my studio here in the 1000 Parker Street is this big old warehouse building in Vancouver. That's where my studio is. I had a, it was, I was doing a lot of lino combined with screen printing, which I still really enjoy and I should go back to because I enjoyed it. But I was doing a monoserigraph, which I, I really enjoy. But I had a, I had a screen printing accident, a huge screen printing accident where I had to spend like a few days in the hospital. Oh my gosh. So I've been kind of scared away from it for a while. Um, do, do you have any, like, it's okay if no, but any kind of like cautionary tale to, share with screen printers? Mm-hmm. I was using the dehazer uh-huh. for, one my, for one of my screens and I put it into what I thought was a safe bottle. It was an industrial sprayer, like an industrial spray yeah, bottle. Yeah. And when I, I left it sitting over the weekend, I, I put it in there, I left it sitting over the weekend, came back on Monday morning and I lifted up the bottle and it had eaten through <gasps> the industrial spray bottle and it sprayed up into my face and into my eyes. And yeah, it was horrible. Oh horrible. Oh my gosh. If I if I wasn't wearing contact lenses, I would probably be quite a bit like have a lot more eye damage than I do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely um a cautionary tale for sure. Yeah, wow. that was horrible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then there's just the stripped down simplicity of Lino, I can imagine, after having like a printing trauma like that. It's sort of like I can see everything that's happening here you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's no chemicals going on that need to be dealt with it's just i I keep the pointy end away from me (laughs) or wait i try to you try to (laughs) this is best practice to keep the pointy end away and yeah you'll be okay for sure yeah yeah i i want to talk a little bit more before we kind of dive into the the meat and potatoes mm-hmm. of the practice about you, know, you saying that you you studied art history and also classical studies I saw oh yeah yeah, yeah. and I connected with that because that's really my background as well I oh, love yeah? classical studies I just oh. I I couldn't just, get enough of it. Yeah. Just, you know, just, just like quote me some Homer and I'm in, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, give, give me the Aeneid on a beach and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Right. Like, <laughs> it, it yeah. loved it so much. And, and I just remember just boring my friends to death at the bar after coming home, after a really rousing session of talking about the Odyssey and like, oh. and you see the way the lines are actually formed, you know, <laughs> they're just like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the pipe. I I have a similar story too, but I think I bore my friends with me. Like, like we, I'll get drunk and I'll be like, "Do you know we're just repeating Roman art history over again?" <laughs> totally, I get so passionate about it, and, and to the point where I loved even HBO's Rome. I don't know if you saw oh, that, but like, oh my god, I've watched it a few times. I love it so much. So much. I've watched it with like all of the commentary on from the yeah. the consultants that they had, and like, this is really Roman graffiti you see here, and so I. 
it, and I connect with it in this way that it feels, you know, maybe kind of unexpected <laughs> considering like it's written by like all of these old guys a long, long time ago. And I think that maybe I find something, I don't know, comforting about the, the questions that they were going for about what it is to be a good life and what it is to be an honorable person are still ones that I'm interested in. But anywho, I, I guess I'm just kind of curious as someone who also loves that part of what humans made once. Hi, doggy. This is the. Oh, that's Frida. Yeah, I, of the of the printmaker and her dog. I feel dog. like it would would not be appropriate to have an interview with the printmaker and her dog without oh. yeah the dog making her presence trouble known. trouble. Um, but it's okay. She's she's saying she's like bring it home, Miranda. Bring this question home. That's what she's telling me. <laughs> I guess what I'm what I'm trying to to ask is I'd, I'd be curious to know if, if that shows up in your work as well. I can see how the art history does as you've spoken to your interest in Canadian art history, particularly the tradition of the landscape. Of course, shows up in your work. Do you find that the the classical studies side of things works its way into your creative practice? I think it does for sure. I mean, because it informs who I am, mm. and I think. Like when you say classical studies, not a lot of people will, will know what we're talking about, I think. But like, they're stories of old, they're tales, they're morality, ways to live your life, like stories of journeys and coming home and all those those emotions, right? And then that always, I think that makes its way into my work for sure, because I'm trying to, like, it's not strictly about looking at a landscape. It's about how the landscape makes me feel and how how I think it makes you feel as well. So there's that aspect of it. But then there's also, I think I'm really passionate about like Rome and ancient Rome in particular, more so than Greece or any of the other ones, because of it, I think the clean lines and the way they set our culture up and things that we don't even know every day we thank them for. They invented concrete for God's sake. <laughs> who, who, I mean, where would we be in the world without concrete? But so if, you, if you're in the Pantheon, you just look, at, look up and you see the, that oculus that in the center of the Pantheon and the sun shining through mm. and the perfection of design. It's just like there's this harmony with my soul and I just, I can't really explain it. It's just this incredible feeling and very, yeah, clean lines. Mm, Ar mm -hmm. arches they arches vaults and domes right like those are the yeah. kinds of things that find their way into my work and that repeating clean forms now that you say it, it's not just like if you look at like the Colosseum, it's just all of these perfect arches that are just getting like smaller and smaller as they go mm -hmm. up. Oh, that's exciting. Well, well, we'll have to have classical nerd out another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure, because it, it is something that's yeah really near and dear to me. So I think this would be a great time to kind of talk about then, you know, as you mentioned the fact that you you do do these, I was going to say meditations on landscapes, but you just were very clear they're not me they're not meditative, but like <laughs> meditations in the in the art historical sense where you're you're using really just like a, a binary of, of, of black and white and mark making and texture to create these explorations of contemporary Canadian landscapes sort of with that tradition re-envisioned. I guess maybe kind of to begin with, what do you think drew you to that particular subject and and why do you think it it's held your attention for the time that it has yeah first we go back to like my very first influences which was the group of seven and i often say that i am continuing a conversation that they started you know but mm -hmm. you know they they you know a bunch of white rich well they were financed by a rich white man in the 20s making their work and then you have you know like this uh queer woman <laughs> <laughs> making mm -hmm. making contemporary prints doing the same thing so it's a very it's a very different conversation but i think it's one that's worth having yeah yeah absolutely and i've been thinking a lot about contemporary landscape and making 
landscape relevant? Because I think as we we both kind of spoke to, sometimes people can bring a prejudice, particularly to traditional landscape, of it just being like, oh, it's those things in the museum you walk past on your way to the war halls, right? <laughs> um, but there's something really fascinating to me for artists who can re-engage with that tradition and make it relevant. I think it's even more important now, considering what we're doing to the environment now at the precipice that we're at, mm. talking, like the, trying to bring us back to that a little bit uh, to that talk about landscape and to talk about the world around us. I, and and uh, I hope in a way that my work does that in a tiny bit, right? Makes people feel that way again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can we yeah. have a, lands- a landscape renaissance? Can yes. Mm. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that, that, we lose when we uh, brush aside landscapes sort of glibly is that I think even the landscapes that we think of are more historical and traditional, you know, they of course were political as well and agendaed as well. And we don't necessarily engage with it that way because we're just like, that guy just liked a sunset. And it's like, did he though? Or like, <laughs> what is in that landscape and what is lacking from that landscape? I think uh, you, you yeah. can use it as, for sure, you can use it as a vehicle for conversation. And I think that's the the way that we were talking about the Warhol, where you, you're thinking about layers of work. That's something that you maybe wouldn't think about when you first looked at it. You'd be like, oh, that's a nice, pretty red la- red red uh, sunset that's happening. You wouldn't realize there's a political statement behind that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, in some of my works that I created in the last couple of years during COVID, there's one called Forest of Peaks, for example. And it's a forest. It's, you know, a forest. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me with my fingers. Uh-huh. And and there's one bright tree in the middle. And for me, like it was, a, it was talking about how like you're alone in a crowd. You're basically, and in in, during the mm. pandemic, I, that was very much the way that I felt very alone, but still in a crowd. So uh, using landscape in that way, I, sure, you can look at it and you can say that's a forest and the sun's hitting that one tree, or you, that, my, that wasn't my intention. It's, its original title was Alone in a Crowd, but I changed it Yeah, to be a bit more subtle. <laughs> yes. We really have this distinctive developed aesthetic. And I know that a lot of young printmakers and a lot of students listen to the podcast. And I think a lot of them are in that process where they're trying to discover their voice and trying to discover what moves them and, and what they can spend years reflecting on and in, in, in a visual language. Can you give any advice how you found it or maybe how someone else might go about finding something that really feels like theirs? I think, I mean, again, I, I'm going to mention my age. I just turned 50 and it it took me a while to realize that to come up with maybe and realize that I had something to say that was different than what I'd seen before. Mm. I hate, I really hate when people say there's nothing new because uh-huh. I, I just think, well, then, well shit, let's give up. Like, <laughs> but no, I, I completely disagree with that. There, I think there are new things. I think what I'm doing, I've never seen before. And maybe that's, maybe that's hubris on my part. I don't know, but I'm not interested in what a mountain looks like necessarily in real life. I appreciate it. I mean, I'd seeing it on a canvas. I mean, I very much appreciate them in real life, but seeing what exactly what a mountain looks like, I think that's been done. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing is to realize, to, to come up with how I, I'm more interested in how that mountain makes you feel like I'm more interested in your interpretation of an event. And I think it, Part of the thing is get off Instagram for God's sakes and stop looking at <laughs> stop looking at other people's work because you I, I've seen people copying me quite a bit and I I get it because everyone does that when you're learning you mm-hmm. co- you copy other people that's how you that's how you figure it out but it's that it's that time alone it's that time trying to figure out what it is that like you have to have something to say that is unique so mm. find find what that is and it sounds like that there may be the the external impacts can kind of be signposts along the way, but mm-hmm. it's actually like what is in you 
that's going to give you that answer in the end. And it's, it's not the, the external stimulus maybe so much. Yeah. It's not easy to be an artist, right? Like it's not easy to be a successful artist, one that does it just full time. It's not easy to do that. So cautionary, like you, you have to have that trifecta of things that all work together, like the passion to do it, the charisma to do it and the talent. You have to have all of those things to make it work. It always reminds me of this great thing that Ben Moino said, which was that if it was just talent, like that <laughs> made people successful, none of us would be here. Like, because there's so few people who are the most talented, right? We should all thank our lucky stars that there are other elements like hard work and networking and charisma mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. grit that actually makes success because otherwise it would just be completely where the, to get a little bit Roman, where the gods just kind of like sprinkled that inspiration, mm-hmm. like what you were just born with. Um, oh, yeah. And those, pe- those people that say they wait around for inspiration, it's like, oh shit, you're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> like, you you, you got to go hunt it down and kill it, you know? <laughs> I love that. See, that's I feel like that's the kind of pep talk that all young artists need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you, I mean, I well, if you had told me in my 20s that I'd be making a career now focused on the Canadian landscape, I would have been like, no, that's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, it, the seeds were definitely planted, right? Like these are I don't I don't know. I don't know. You just you end up where you end up. Absolutely. And, you, and, you, and like, you know, when you get there, because you have a reaction to it. And then I remember like the first print I did in this series sold very quickly. And I was like, oh, interesting. Uh-huh. What's, ha- what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the interesting things about having that relationship as a maker who shares and a maker who shares not instantaneously, but quite quickly, like that we live in a time where we can get almost instant feedback on what we create, which of course can be brutal and maybe not necessarily super healthy all the time. But if you're someone who likes that kind of instant gratification, it can also be really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we could speak to, you know, the the particular almost like the the form in your image making and how you've got this really developed aesthetic where you've got you're just using the the black and the white and the peaks and the valleys and yet you seem to have this ability to create a plethora of super interesting dynamic different compositions you know just using that visual language mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you could kind of speak to your process of actually creating the composition and if you find that ever limiting or is that kind of stimulating in the limitation? That's a giant question. I know. (laughs) So we've got another half an hour of recording time. So yeah. (laughs) No, it's just uh, that stripped down aesthetic. The first thing I'd say that 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 stripped down aesthetic is a very deliberate choice on my part. Mm -hmm. Like I have had color in before I, as I said, I've combined the screen printing and the lineup, but I think like in the most recent work that I've been doing, it is very stripped down to to just that aesthetic choice of black and white or sometimes blue and white, like a single color, Mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot to say with line. And I think I'd have to go back to like a trip I did to New York and I went into the MoMA and I saw this Jim Dine print called The Braid. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, that's a print. I couldn't believe it. Like it was just Uh so three-dimensional to me. Like it just jumped out of the page. And just like, it was just like, it just looked like you could see the hair coming off of it. For me, I was a little bit shook in that moment. I was just like realizing the possibility of print, right? To 
And then I thought, well, his is, was, of course, an etching. I'm like, well, how can I do this in my own work? I need to make this work pop off the page in a way. So then I came back with all this like renewed energy, and I started doing this whole series on with ropes and with lino cut. And then I, I that series made me realize the power of line and, and how I could like just shove some shadow and light in there, and, mm. and in particular in the ways that I carve. And so and that kind of all flowed into this current series which is, uh, yeah, all line and shadow. And I don't find it limiting, I think, because, I, you know, if I get to a point where I feel like I'm repeating myself or I don't have anything new to say, then I'll, I'll switch it up and do something different. Right. But I've got a lot to say and just a little bit of life to do it in. So I'm mm. going to keep doing it until, until I change it again. I think in the last couple of years, the work has it it keeps evolving, of course, as it should, but it keeps evolving in a way now, like I mentioned, that piece that was inspired by the pandemic. I think like using landscape, not just to talk about how you should feel about landscape, but about other things as well. So I, and I, I, and that way there's endless possibilities and endless combinations. Yeah. And the variety of textures and depth that you get from just, as I said, this, this, like the binary, the limited palette, Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe part of what makes the final compositions just so mentally and aesthetically stimulating is that you're just like, what? You know, because you can really look into it and and understand what the impression is given. And then, of course, I think you naturally, the viewer has this natural curiosity of like, how'd she do that? I, I love it when people, like, I, the work looks good on my Instagram page. It does. But when then when you see it in person, it has that little bit of warmth and you can see a few mistakes because yeah. you, know, you can see the human element in, in the work. But I, I like the illusion. Like, I like people sometimes mistaking it for digital because it's I, I enjoy that. Yes, like it's done by a human hand. Human hands can do this. Mm-hmm. I like that idea of the work. But I also like I, I, I just keep discovering more ways to impart that shadow and the light and to move things around. It's like it's just like this constant discovery, which is exciting. When I was doing a little research um, on you a bit more in depth in preparation for this, you have a, a line in, it might be your about page, or maybe it's your artist <laughs> statement that's one of my favorites of all time, Uh-oh. which is, she is also gay, which she thinks has made her a better printmaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. Which I love that so much. I guess it made me think of the fact that I know printmaking better than anything else, but I feel like printmaking is just a wonderfully queer medium. And I just think I want all wonderful young queer printmakers to hear that. Why is that making a better printmaker? No, for sure. I think, and I think it's important just to, I, like, I don't hide it. I can't hide it. You look at me. I'm obviously gay. Like, <laughs> there's no, the, the jig is up. Hey, you know? <laughs> Did you know that when, when gay people go to an airport, like particularly lesbians, we do, we have this thing called the Butch nod. Have you heard about this? It just just in airports or just or- almost always like sometimes okay. in, sometimes out in public too. If we if we're in a place where there's where we both know we're gay and it's a uh-huh. place where it's, it's not cool to be gay. Like I'm talking like downtown Istanbul. Once I got the Butch nod, I fucking love that kind of stuff. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So no, I, I love really, that. Yeah, I think it's, it's like important the- to. The secret society, yeah. It is, and it makes you feel part of a secret society. Anyway, so that's an aside. But um, I think it makes me a better printmaker in a couple ways. First, it was something that made me feel that I should hide it. And so it was always this thing where, you know, I spent a lot of time alone, basically drawing in my room and painting and stuff. Just like, and it was just like, it forced me, I think, in a way, I was alone a lot more often and worked on my talent and worked on my skills, which I think has made me a better printmaker for sure. The other way is, because I grew up, in the 70s and the 80s and it's not like it's not the same as it is today 
I mean, not that today's, I mean, today's definitely better, Mm -hmm. but it's still not easy to be a gay person in the world all the time. But I developed like a very serious form of OCD. I have something called arithmomania, which means I count and trace things all the time in my mind when I'm talking to people, when I'm looking at them all the time. It's just something the first thing I do when I wake up is like the count, count the windows in my bedroom, for mm. kind of, for, for example. And so it's this very structured, ordered way that my mind puts itself at ease. No one really knows why, you know, why things are the way they are. But I think it's in, it's in reaction to, you know, the the stuff that happened to me in my youth feeling because I, I mean, I knew I was different from a really young age. So, so it's like, it's like, you know, RuPaul says, you find that thing, like I'm quoting RuPaul now, mm. it's the vast, we go from Roman art history to RuPaul. <laughs> um, but you find that thing that people say it, that they use against you and you turn it, that's your superpower, right? So actually, being gay is my superpower in a way, mm. because that that very structured way of thinking, like, that's the way that I see the world. And that comes out in my prints for sure mm. for sure for sure that the line work the yeah the disarticulation of things like that it, it's all there the counting it's all in the work so yeah there, are very long answer to and she's gay that makes that makes a lot of sense and I think it, it does speak to the way that art has such a beautiful long tradition of being that savior for people who are in a place where they're not they don't feel safe and they don't feel seen there's a reason why people are like oh you know zany artists right and that that kind of like idea of an eccentric artist of course goes back to michelangelo who Mm -hmm. was gay as heck super gay (laughs) you know that that need to release the 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 pressure of not feeling safe and accepted and seen or fitting in or or that which of course like we're we're social mammals and we need community to feel safe that's just inherent within us is that i need to feel there's another ape around here who's going to be who's going to help me look for that lion right and that's really really intrinsic and so releasing that kind of pressure of feeling like you don't have that through art is is such a long and and beautiful tradition and and why again while it's sort of cliche to say that idea that like art saves lives because it does it absolutely does yeah because you know instead of you know being the just that gay girl at school in high school that got yelled and spit at a lot you could i was also hey but man she sure can draw have you seen or oh god she gets good grades i wish i got those grades right like that those are the kinds of places where you you find your niche and then you just you save yourself Mm, yeah absolutely um i'm hoping that in the time we have left, I just want to make sure that I have so appreciated that you're now doing also outfit of the days on your Instagram. <laughs> because, well, I'm trying to have fun with Instagram. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's so it's so cool. It's sort of like, oh, what's Kari got on today? Oh, um, man, wait, wait to see what I'm wearing today. I wore it for the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, totally. I'm I'm excited. I will I will look for it with with bated breath yeah because it's just i i just really think that that's just such a a a wonderful little look into to your 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 day-to-day life but also just kind of that idea of the ways that we express ourselves you know Mm -hmm. um and it's like i feel like i've for years been watching this artistic side of of you and then all of a sudden i get to see like style kari too so that's just i want to throw that out there Thank you. I appreciate that. So will my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she takes the photos. They're beautifully shot, you know. 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And then I'm curious about your your Instagram handle as well. That's the printmaker and her dog. Frida shows up here and there, um, but is she, was she just a studio dog? Is she your your companion in this making? Is that how she ended up looming large in your Instagram legend? Uh, well, I mean, the carefully curated Instagram at the beginning was just dogs. Who are we kidding? It was just like <laughs> dog photos, and then I was like, wait a second, because at first I don't think I took Instagram. Instagram very seriously as an artist. I was it was mostly like a social media for, you know, keeping in contact with people and looking at pictures. But then I started realizing, well, you know, wait a second. This yeah. I can I can use this for my career. Let's ride this wave as long as it lasts like a, you know, like, like a wave in Hawaii. But uh yeah, she is she is. Yeah. The original dog is actually a dog named Doodle. Who 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 was the same kind of dog that that Frida is because I got sucked into the rat terrier life. The dogs are with you through thick and thin, right? So. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think that we could definitely draw a parallel to that dogs save lives too, you know? you know? And you know what's super interesting is that I now belong to a group on Instagram. We call ourselves the Doggy Anchors and we communicate with each other. There's another one in British Columbia, but there's uh they're like all over the world. There's a few in Australia and we have this and we're, and we're all like printmakers who have dogs and that's our thing in common. So now, and so we have these conversations with each other about ink and paper and all sorts of random shit and then we send each other dog photos. So it's this interesting community that we've made. Oh my gosh, that's that sounds like my heaven. <laughs> it's just, and you know, we swear that we're all like when I go to Australia, you can bet I'm going to hook up with some of those people for sure. Yeah. Love, when you like again, when we're talking about traveling the world, and one of the things to do is to seek out print places. I remember like when I was in Cuba, there's have you been there? No, I've actually oh. Ronaldo and I have applied for a grant to go. So fingers crossed, we want to go try and do some studio visits there with printmakers. Oh, there's a printmaking facility there in Havana. And it, it's, it blew my mind, mm. the, the, the quality of the print work there. And uh, again, like talking about, you know, regionalism, saying stuff about where you are politically, oh, amazing work. And it's just it's, when you see it other places, it's just this instant connection. Yeah, yeah, that's such an incredible gift of being part of this community. And part of the reason why I started the podcast is because I was, I was working at Davidson and I was traveling internationally and I was meeting just the best people around the world through printmaking. And when I left, I said, no, 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 I need to keep talking to printmakers. Like, I can't Aww. I can't be without it. <laughs> <You're It's, hooked. laughs> God, it's, I am, I am. I'm, I'm hooked on the print chats. So that's, you know, kind of grown into its own beat. But yeah, it's it's a huge gift. So yeah, for sure. In the time we have left, I want to make sure that we have a chance to talk about your mural work because I've been seeing that um, pop up on your Instagram and it's always so interesting when artists take print, which is that small, that intimate, that handheld medium, and then also have this huge public display of their aesthetic as well. And it, it's actually... Not super uncommon. Erica Walker does it. And of course, Joy um, of Killjoy does it as well. And I've been seeing you do it. And it's just always so thrilling to see when a printmaker is, is making this jump. And so I'd love to hear how it fits into your practice for you. Oh, I think it's like, it's really interesting. It makes me think a lot about how we consume art these days. We're talking about galleries and shows and things like that and how they're uh, it's like almost they almost feel a little outdated at this point and i and i think our as our culture evolves it's about having art in places that is unexpected and one of them one of them is murals the other one is like 
sometimes I like I'm using my art for more commercial products. I have the stand up paddleboard with so that with some of my art on it, for example. So people are out on a lake and they are standing on top of this, you know, stand up paddleboard that has like one of my prints on it. And it's amazing, right, to be out there, like actually part of the environment. And at first I thought it's weird to have your art on stuff like that. But I think the way that I think the way that life is going, that's that's how art is, is being taken in by people. And it's just they it had to let go of having your art on the stuff and realize that that's how people are seeing you. That's how people are connecting with you. And then they'll come back and circle back to the work that's on paper. But I think because I think the important thing about me, again, is not that I'm a printmaker. It's that I'm an artist and I'm very passionate about print. So that's why my mural work looks I mean, I try to make it look very similar to the print work. Mm -hmm. And most often, like almost every mural I've done is an enlargement of a print I've already done because I want it to stay very connected to the work. But it's a way of getting the word out there. And I think my style is distinctive. And I think so when people see the mural work again, they are wondering what is going on here. Mm. And, you know, I'm hoping to put that little question in their head and then they'll go back and look me up and realize, oh, okay, she's a printmaker. That makes sense. Yeah. So like, it's interesting. I started doing murals just kind of as a side way to make money. And now, I mean, I've got them lined up for the summer pretty much. So they're a really good way to make some money. (laughs) I have heard that from other printmakers as well is that, and, and I think that there's something about a lot of print processes is that do you have that kind of graphic quality to them that does translate to a mural which is going to be read close up and far away well but what about the freedom too right it's the freedom like i because we're limited by the size of our press for the most part unless you mm. hand print right uh, but uh, we're limited by the size so the freedom to be able to do something 70 feet tall in a downtown vancouver building a, a print that big like Technically, it was a print because I, I still like this. It's important for me, right? Here goes my printmaking politics. Ah. All my murals are they're still technically prints because they're I tape them all off and spray paint them, so they're stencils. They're stencils. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I go through sometimes like the one that's seventy feet tall. I went through almost fifty rolls of tape doing oh it, so gosh. it's really quite something. And there, it's just a different way. It's just a different way. It's just a different muscle to flex. It's something, and it's a way to get out in the community, like you know. All work and no play, right? Totally. And I think that that's really significant, too, is that that it's such a public act of art making. Mm -hmm. And while printmaking is social, often people will will go to community shops, it still is behind closed doors. And there's still that, that kind of barrier to entry of knowing about it and feeling comfortable in the space. But when you start making your art truly out in the world... Like that's got to be an amazing feeling that people are seeing it in action, seeing its creation who might never have encountered art making in their day to day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. The last time I was doing a mural, uh, it's the first time that someone's actually brought me a bottle of wine. Well, while I was working, like, I'm like, this doesn't happen nearly often enough. Like, <laughs> they, for they consumption by, there? Or, or they, like, they, they drove I, by and handed it out of their sunroof. They're like, good job, here. I love that. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I, mean, I like, love that. We don't often get tipped as artists, you know? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. That's really funny. I yeah. hope that, yeah, we, we maybe weren't having it, like, up on the ladder so much. But, yeah. <laughs> no. It's an interesting way to engage with community. And I think you don't do that in your studio either really very often, you know, Absolutely. unless you have a community event. It's a really interesting way to, to engage with people. Well, you said that you're lined up for the summer. Are you going to be traveling at all? Do you want to give a shout out to any 
cities that people, <laughs> the, the mural tour that someone might want to say, hey, come see my print shop? <laughs> well, I've got some big ones going on in Vancouver, but I mean, mm. I am, I, I will have one in Seattle this summer. So Lovely. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, uh, I'm looking, I'd like to do more international murals. So I would like, I'd like to see how that, we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's my next on my wish list. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, we've got a pretty international audience. So I would say consider it shouted out that uh, you're open for chatting about it, it sounds Absolutely, like. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. And then I'm also, the other project that I'm really excited about that I'm working on right now, uh, I'm actually, you know, I'm working on a deadline this weekend for it, is for the Dragon Boat Society of Vancouver. We have these Dragon Boat races that started here in the year that Expo 86 started, I believe. Anyway, so you'll be seeing my prints on Dragon Boats this year a specific print that tells a story about about dragon boating and its history that sounds lovely i'm mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing that mm-hmm. and definitely let me know when you're when you're going to seattle because i know a lot of a lot of print folk in seattle having <laughs> cut my teeth in the the hard print world there low 10 years ago but um yeah I, I think that just you know more community is is good community and i'm sure that they'd be happy to welcome you. Where, where do you know where you're doing the mural? I'm just curious because uh, I know the city so well. I can't. I can't say it yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, sorry. No worries. No worries. <laughs> I I feel like now we're you're just folding in drama to it. You know. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> this is like stay tuned print friends totally, totally. <laughs> absolutely well i feel like that's the perfect segue into asking you where can people stay tuned where can they find you people can stay tuned and watch my work on instagram i always i'm one of those people that doesn't plan my instagram i just it's pretty live i pretty do it like I, I finish a print and i put it up there pretty much there's no careful calculation on my part so yes definitely instagram the printmaker and her dog and uh, my website which is always kindly updated by the better half of me. <laughs> it is important to, to have those in our life who kind of even us out. Yes. <laughs> who have different skills than us, and that's perfectly fine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's great. So, yeah, you can find um, you the, the printmaker and her dog, and you can also see what I personally hope to be the ongoing Outfit of the Day series. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just a a wonderful little icing on the cake of just good print media. I guess just thanks so much for for talking to me. It's been really fun, and like no, I said, this is yeah, a great conversation. I like I've done a few podcasts, and it's just I enjoy that we talked a lot around print mm. as well. Like we didn't talk specifically about you know all of the imagery and stuff, but I enjoy that we talked about all the stuff around the life that makes the print happen because I think that stuff is yeah. really the, it's really the meat and bones, and you really got to it. Oh, I'm glad, and that's that's part of the reason kind of why I. We ended up rebranding, which we're talking about a little bit off the air. It's like the Hello Print Friend is that I'm interested in in what supports the printmaking. Like, what's that life? Because that perfect print that's mounted and hanging on a white wall in a gallery is such an endpoint in a way to a whole experience and a whole life and a whole practice, as you say, that supports it. So I'm, I'm so glad that you were keen to talk about it all. And yeah, and definitely, yeah, let me know your travels and uh for sure i'll stay in touch yeah cross paths in the future somewhat time somewhere i'm sure we will thanks miranda thanks so much kai have a good afternoon you too bye if you like today's episode we have a patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like shop talk shorts with our editor timothy pauschak who digs deep on materials processes and techniques with our guests Also, if you've listened this far, you might just be that special kind of print friend who would leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us if you did. No joke, it really does make an impact in this podcasting world. 
And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Nick Ruth. Nick is known for his multidisciplinary print practice, exploring signs, signifiers, and communications. In this episode, we both put on our amateur existentialist hats and talk about the ways in which communication brings us closer together and divides us. We also talk about the strange autonomous power of signs, different street crossing cultures, and how his curatorial practice is an art practice. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.